0: As we turn our attention to the readings of Holy Scripture today, will you pray with me? O oh Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So illumine now our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we might receive with joy what you have to say to us today. We make this prayer in the name of Christ our Lord, the Word made flesh. Amen. The New Testament lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. Jesus says, Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you, in heaven their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep, and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost." And the Old Testament lesson comes from Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit is usually understood to be speaking of the origins of human sin and the ensuing separation from God. All was well in paradise until Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, and ever since then, all humans have been sucked up in their original transgressions. Certainly this story is paradigmatic of the ways in which Sin disrupts our intimacy with God, our creator. Broadly conceived, sin in its various forms can be classified into two umbrella categories or theological types, pride and sloth. The presence of pride in this story is obvious enough, just as the sin of pride is usually obvious enough in the world around us. It's easy to spot. It's bombastic and in your face. Pride is an attempt to stand in for God, to take one's own path instead of the path God lays out before us. Pride tells God, I know better, and rebels against God's commands. We see pride at play in the story in Eden, of course. God tells Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit, and they eat it anyway. And thus the story of our rebellion against God's laws has commenced. But we also see sloth at play in this story, too, in many ways that I think are actually much more illuminating, if less obvious. As a theological category, sloth does not mean laziness the way we might use it in everyday English. No, sloth in theology is anything that belittles who we were meant to be as humans. Anything that belittles who we were meant to be. So if pride is self-inflation, sloth is about self-negation. If pride thinks too much of oneself, sloth thinks too little of oneself. If pride thinks that one can earn God's favor through our own righteousness, sloth thinks that one can never be enough, never acceptable to God. Although human sin begins with a prideful rebellion against God's laws, Adam and Eve immediately thereafter enter the realm of slothfulness as they hide themselves away in the garden. To hide from God is, in fact, the essence of sloth. To run away from God is ultimately just as harmful to our relationship with God as rebelling against God. As we follow the narrative of this story, we see not only that the first sin is present, but also the principle that one sin begets another. Eating the fruit was the first sin, but hiding from God was the second. Pride and sloth, they form this sort of teeter-totter of dysfunction that exacerbate one another, going back and forth, leaving enmity and distance between God and human beings. Let's walk through this story again. After Adam and Eve rebel and eat the fruit, something within them changes. Their eyes are opened, and they suddenly feel guilt, perhaps even shame. Their newfound knowledge of good and evil has alerted them of the evil of their actions, and they seem to know that they have messed up. Their guilt and shame manifests itself, interestingly, in an awareness of their nakedness. So they scramble to sew loincloths together for themselves, and they use fig leaves, which are a really lousy textile. Actually, fig leaves shrivel almost immediately after they've been plucked from a fig tree. That's why your clothes are made of uh, polyester and cotton and wool and not from fig leaves. And then, in the same way that we tend to want to close our eyes and hide our face away whenever we feel guilty, Adam and Eve try to hide from God to avoid a confrontation with their sin. Pride gives way to sloth. One sin begets another. Rebellion leads to withdrawal. And the next thing we know, human relationship with God is in pretty bad shape. It's a sad, sad day in paradise. But the beautiful thing about Christian faith is that whenever there's bad news, God's grace is never far behind. The good news of the gospel, in fact, begins all the way back in Eden when God sets out on an afternoon stroll in the cool of the evening breeze. You know what happens when we try to hide from God? God comes looking for us. That is the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? And that's exactly what's happening here. God walks throughout the garden, looking for Adam and Eve, calling out to them, Where are you? And thankfully, God's inquiry always leads to an answer, because that is the power of God's word. And so Adam and Eve step out from their hiding. But then this dialogue ensues, in which God asks Adam, Did you eat that fruit that I told you not to eat? And Adam gives the most unbelievable answer. Now, the last word of his answer is the truth, I ate. But his wind-up to the truth passes blame not once, but twice. He says, the woman gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate it. But not only that, he says, the woman who you gave to me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Adam blames not only Eve, but also God for giving him Eve for his sin of eating the forbidden fruit. Come on, man. And then God asks Eve what on earth happened, and Eve blames the serpent. Now at least Eve admits she got tricked, but that's her wind up to the truth, her way of deflecting responsibility. The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The whole situation illuminates really well the twin categories of sin and grace. Sin does to us what it does to Adam and Eve. It makes us terribly awkward and uncertain and guarded before God. It prevents us from being forthcoming and prompts ridiculous excuses that prohibit true intimacy. In fact, sin makes us try to escape the divine gaze altogether. Like Adam and Eve, we try to hide away behind thick trees and thin fig leaves. Pride and sloth but there is tremendous grace here as well if you know where to look for it. Just look at who is hiding and who is seeking. Sometimes Christians talk about sin as something that makes God run away from us. The more we sin, the further away God goes. But who is the one doing the running here in this biblical account of sin's origins? Who's the one hiding from whom? Many years ago, I lived in Vail, Colorado, and I used to play tennis with a certain man all the time. One day after our match, we were sitting at the water cooler, and he surprised me by saying, I'd appreciate it if you'd pray for my friend's wife. She was just diagnosed with cancer. And of course, I said I'd be happy to pray. But then he said something strange. He said, I know that you're pretty close to the big guy upstairs. He knew I worked in a church. But then he said, since I can't pray, I'd be grateful if you would pray for me. I couldn't help but ask him, why is it that you don't think you can join me in prayer? And he said, Brian, I've done some bad things in my life. God doesn't want anything to do with me. Here was a man who thought God was hiding from him, when in fact he was hiding from God. Here was a man grasping for fig leaves when, in fact, God was calling out to him, Where are you? Where are you? It's amazing to me how many questions God asks throughout the Bible, because why does an all-knowing God need to ask any questions? Well, God's questions, of course, are always rhetorical questions, not seeking to gain missing information, but rather seeking to elicit a response from the one is questioned. When God asks a question, God is seeking an answer, a response. When God asks, where are you, to Adam and Eve, God is saying, stop hiding and come back to me. The questions God asks in the Bible, after all, are not asked to those who are moving toward God, but to those who are moving away from God. God's questions are directed towards those who need to know in that moment that God is not far off God asks why are you here to a demoralized Elijah can these bones live to a hopeless Ezekiel where were you to a despondent Job is anything too marvelous for the Lord to a skeptical Sarah what is your name to a deceitful Jacob and of course, where are you to a cowering Adam and Eve? God's questions are an invitation to step out from our hiding and receive the healing and forgiveness that radiate from God's gaze. Friends, some of us here this morning might be, res- might be wrestling with issues of pride. Of course, we all do from time to time. But it may be far more likely that issues of sloth are actually holding us back from a closer walk with God. It's far more likely that we're more inclined to think too little of ourselves than too much of ourselves, at least when it comes to our relationship with God. This world can be a tough place, after all. And 2020 has certainly beaten the pride out of a lot of us. But sloth is as much a danger today as ever, I think, We may find ourselves hiding behind trees with Adam and Eve this morning. If you've come to think that you're too old and incapacitated for God to use you in powerful ways, step out from your hiding place. If you've come to think you've done too many things wrong in your past to do the right thing in the future, step out from your hiding place. If you've come to think God has more important things to do than listen to your petty little cares and concerns, step out from your hiding place, because I have good news for you. God is seeking you out. God is calling out to you, awaiting your response. You may have wandered off, but God is willing to leave everything behind to come find you. Or you may have just sort of fallen asleep in a slothful indifference to God's claim on your life wake up. God is calling out to you, awaiting your response. Step into the divine gaze and admit that there is nowhere where we can flee from God's presence. So why would we try? The story of God seeking and saving the lost begins in the Garden of Eden, but of course it culminates on the cross, where Christ overcomes all of the distance that we've ever put between ourselves and God. Pride and sloth and all of their affiliates lose their power as Christ declares, it is finished. God's question, where are you, finds its answer in Christ's, here I am, and Christ brings us back with him to our creator. So this morning, as we prepare to receive this sacrament, this meal, Let's remember that what has been done for us in Christ is far more important than anything we might have done ourselves. Let's also remember as Christ gives himself to us in this bread and this cup that God continues to seek us out. So let's step out of our hiding place and step into the divine gaze knowing that sin's grip is broken and we are forgiven and freed. Alleluia and thanks be to God. Amen.